Welcome everyone to the Row by Row Garden Show, the best dead gum garden show on the radio and the internet as well. Glad to have you this evening. And uh, here in South Georgia, Miss Hoss, it's a little wet. A little wet, a lot mm. wet. And we've had rain, rain, rain for the last few days and we've got so much we need to do in the garden. We got out yesterday and pulled your zinnias up in your raised bed and uh, you're getting ready to do some things in your garden. So what you got going on? I have my okra planted. I have, I planted some sweet dumplings. Sweet dumplings, which are winter squash. Winter squash. Yep. Uh, three hip type of sunflowers and getting ready for some herbs that you have in the greenhouse. Yep. For anybody out there that wants to plant any winter squash in a raised bed, that sweet dumpling is a great one. That's one I kind of pointed or two. Reason is it don't have a real sprawling vine to it. It's more of a compact vine. And uh, it's, it's one, if you're going to grow a winter squash in a raised bed, that's definitely one mm -hmm. to consider. And I'm going to tell you, they're absolutely delicious. Probably one of our favorite ones to eat, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. In my garden, um, I just got everything cleaned up pretty good. Except the okra. Except the okra. We left the okra in. You put a whooping on oh, it. Oh, whooping that okra. Yep. She went out there and, uh, and trimmed off all the bottom leaves, and she worked on it pretty well. Got her machete. I was worried about that machete in her because she's got a... <laughs> She's got a wicked arm there. I said, don't slice your leg, but she got it all trimmed up. And I she believe it took off again. Yeah, it, tr it trimmed it up and did it good. It's over taller than mine. Oh, yeah. I am. Yeah, and you, you picked it again right after that. Mm -hmm. I, it took a good whoop and it put on some more, more pods. So we got okra still left. Everything else has been extinguished. Uh, with the exception, we got some flowers growing. We got some sunflowers and got some cover crops growing. But I've got probably four plots that I've got worked up. We are getting pumped and ready for fall gardening. We are. Greenhouse is full of plants and uh, tomato plants and pepper plants going. And I'm going to give you a little, and I knew this, but sometimes you just have to get a reminder. You know, during the wintertime, I always figure on six weeks grow out time for peppers and tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Or pretty much anything. Now, watermelons, you grow off a little quicker than that. But you just figure on six weeks for tomatoes. And but in the summertime, it's a four-week grow-out. So you can gain two weeks in the summertime growing out transplants than what you can in late winter and spring. And uh, so that gives you a little more cushion room there. And transplants are growing like crazy in the greenhouse. So uh, we got, I might got tomatoes about ready to plant. And I can't get out there and do it because my plots are soaking wet. Mm. But... What you got there, girl? I was going to let you taste these cucumbers from last week. Well, or, or cucumbers from last week. We did do a little a little can in there last week, didn't we? We did. Yeah, I'm always nervous about the taste testing on the uh, on the show here because it can go it can go either way. It can go really good or it can go really bad. Uh, you got me a couple weeks ago on some. Uh, yeah. On that wasn't fair because everybody else liked it. Yeah, I just it wasn't for me. It was those tomatoes. It was full. So of these are the cucumbers we started fermenting last week. Now this is that simple, easy recipe. Yeah, there. Yep. Firm. Firm. Yeah, and uh, what three or four days before they're ready? It's but then they'll keep after it's that. It's been a week. Yep. So I'll put them in the, uh, took the airlock off today. I'll stick them in the fridge. What you think? That's as good as air store bought I've ever eaten. So while you're eating that. Nice and crisp. I hear it crunching. Mm -hmm. Been canning this week. I've got some Italian tomato sauce. You tasted it is. What do mm -hmm. you think? It was good. 
Good. A little. I like it. It's not hot, hot, spicy, but it was spicy. It had a good bit of flavor to it. Yeah. Um, now, this is some uh, pickled okra. Now, this is interesting. It was the... Jing orange. Jing orange. Variety. And I don't know if you can see, but... So, the red oranges color from the okra came out into the juice, and the okra pods are actually green. Well, they're turning back green. They're losing their color, so the, the water is pulling the color. Now, this one, this is a spicy... Um, it won't, it's got some red pepper flakes in it. It won't be ready to taste till about six weeks from now. You let it marinate and get that good flavor going on. Yeah. For you folks out there that's had your belly full of fried okra and stewed okra, and you still got okra coming in, now's a good time, excuse me, be pickling you some okra. The other thing I did was with those heatless habanera, mm -hmm. I made some habanera pineapple pepper jelly. Yeah, I believe it's the roulette heatless habanero. Yeah. First year growing them for us, but uh, I've always liked the flavor of the habanero. I just couldn't really take the heat. Now, you did put a uh, jalapeno. One I did. Those, one I put one hot, jalapeno in there. Hot jalapenos in there. But you need just a little bit of heat with pepper jelly. Got the nest, the pepper flakes in there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, yeah. What you think? Good. Real good. So that's what I've been doing this week. On me for pepper jelly, and I've had pineapple pepper jelly before that was made of habaneros. To me, the habanero makes the best uh, pepper jelly as far as any of the papers with the flavor out there. You agree or not? I agree. Yep. All right, so we was talking about my garden plot, and I got all my garden plots just about ready. But here we got the rain come in. Mm -hmm. So that leads us to the product of the week. So the product of the week is a tart. Now, you know, for a long time, we've had the big tarps, the uh, 30 by 40 and the 40 by 50. Excuse me, the 30 by, 30 by 40. Yeah, the 30 by 40 and the 40 by 50. That's right. But now we have got a smaller one for you guys that are having smaller plots. And, I, and I'll tell you, this one's easier to handle. A lot of times I have to do this by myself out in the garden. And this is a 20 by 25 tarp. Uh, six mil. Now this one is ideal for those smaller plots out there that you can put on there, help extinguish the weeds. But I'm going to tell you the way I'm going to use it in the next week or so. Maybe a way that you're not familiar with using tarps. So I get my plot entirely ready. A lot of times in the early springtime, we'll get out there and get our, get our plots ready. And then we're a little bit worried about the weather, whether it's going to get cold again. We don't know what to do. When you get that plot ready, you can take this tarp and put on there and it puts it in a hold pattern. It'll hold that spot till you get ready to plant. You go out there one Saturday morning, all you have to do is peel this tarp off and you can get an air plant. It can sit for weeks and on weeks out there in the hold pattern. And then you can go out there, get your seeds in the dirt. So that's the way I'm gonna use it in the next little bit. I'll put a couple of my plots on hold and I'll plant when I can, when I have time. And it works perfectly for that as long as always, it works good too, extinguishing weeds. If you got weeds that are popping up that you missed a button a little bit, you can tarp it and it'll take care of those as well. And this being a black tarp, 
it's actually cooler underneath it. And I know most people may not really get that, but think about it this way. If you got a greenhouse and you put a clear top on there and you had a greenhouse beside it with a black top on there, that black acts as a shade and it actually cools the soil down underneath it. It, just, it blocks the sunlight. That clear plastic is the one that's going to get the soil really hot. So that one there works really good. And uh, the worms and your beneficial uh, organisms in your soil love it because you don't burn them up. Again, it's a 20 by 25 uh, size tarp. All right, so what we're gonna do this week is uh, a few days ago, we posted questions on mm -hmm. Row by Row and Instagram, asking you for your questions you would like for us to talk about. And that's what we're gonna do today. We got a list of questions from you, the viewers out there, that have sent in, and we're gonna go through a good bit of these questions and answer them for you today, and maybe it will help you. Now, that all being said, see this nice book right here? Nice. Mm -hmm. What we're gonna do with this nice book? We're gonna draw five of the names. I think we've got 35 questions. Uh -huh. So at the end, we're gonna draw five names. And if your name's selected, you will get this book in the mail. You just need to email us at cussserve at hallstools.com and let us know what your address is and we'll get this in the mail if you're selected as one of the winners. So we're gonna, at the end of the show, we're gonna draw five names and we're gonna send out The Gardener's Guide to Plant Diseases. Now this is a great book because it describes in detail, but yet in a way that you can understand what different diseases are and then how to uh, have remedies for them and how to combat them. Now the lady that wrote this book right here, you know who that is? No, I don't. Her name is Barbara Pleasant. I actually know old Barbara. Barbara's a good gal. She's been around uh, in the industry a pretty good while. She is one of the best sought-after garden writers there are oh. out there. Yep. Back when we used to be on tour with Mother Earth, Mother Earth Fair Group, uh, met Barbara there at some of those um, fairs where we were speaking at. She's a lovely lady, very intelligent, very well thought of, and she does a great job. She's written several books. She also, I think she still writes articles, a lot of the uh, garden magazines such as Mother Earth News and, and others as well. But Barbara is a, uh, is a great one. So you would get her Gardener's Guide to Plant Diseases. She has several other books on bugs and other things as well. But that's the one you will be receiving to, that we'll be sending out from the questions answered today. Okay. So let's dip right on in to some questions and I'll do my best to answer them. How about that? Okay. Our first question is from Garden Thyme with Mac. Yep. And he asked, after gardening for so many years and seeing so many other gardeners, if you started a garden all over again, what would you do differently? Okay. When I started gardening years and years ago, what we did is we had this one big garden and we would plant in the springtime and we would plant enough so that we could put up and can and then after the spring or summer harvest was gone that's all we did we didn't grow we, we might have grew a little small fall crop of turnips or mustard but we really didn't plant anything besides that to the next spring what i would do different now is what i have done i would break my garden plot into different plots and our goal now is to grow our own food continuously year round so we're doing a lot better job with that. But also with these smaller plots, we can rotate our crops out. We can use cover crops. We can lay a plot out to rest sometimes. It's just managed so much better when you got smaller plots that you can uh, 
plant and then maybe two weeks later you want to plant you some more or something else you don't have to get in there and, uh, and kind of make a mess of that area the problem i had with the big garden is i had to plant everything at one time i couldn't go back and plant stuff later on so with these little plots you can manage it so much better and it allows you to do that and a prime example of that is an herb garden you need to keep an herb garden all throughout the growing season and you can do that with these little plots there so i would do that Along with that, I would make sure that I had my garden area in a nice sunny spot that was not low, that was well-drained, and I had a water source close by. And here's a big kicker. Make sure you got your tool shed or access to tools close by. That makes it all the difference in the world when you're out there working and you got to go get stuff back and forth. If you got that garden shed close by, it makes things so much more convenient and a lot more handier for you. And have fun. And have fun. Heck yeah, have fun doing That's the main thing. Okay. Second question from Kelly Carlton. What's the easiest thing to grow for beginner gardeners? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, so as we're going, oh, summer squash. Now summer squash, to, I think anybody can grow summer squash. They normally come off in 55 days, so you don't have a lot of room for air there. They grow really quick. But as we go into the fall of the year, I can think of some things that you're beginner gardening you probably need to grow that you should be successful with. That'd be radishes, uh, beets, any leafy vegetables such as collards, turnips, mustard. Uh, go ahead and give it a try. I don't think these are the easiest, but give maybe broccoli a try. Uh, they're highly rewarding. But kohlrabi, kohlrabi is pretty easy to grow. Any of your leafy vegetables along with beets and radishes going into fall, would be what I'd recommend to start out with there. What about rutabagas? Yeah, rutabagas would be fine. And you could also eat the leaves off rutabagas. Mm -hmm. That'd be a good one, yeah. Collards, any of those leafy vegetables. All right. Next question is from Curtis Arnold. What is the correct height I should put my grow lights at? Well, that's a pretty good one there. Now, there's all different kind of grow lights out there. There's some cheap ones and there's some really expensive ones. And it makes a difference to what kind of grow lights you got. There's the T5 and the LED and there's all different kind of ones with different watts and things like that. But a pretty much general rule is anywhere from 6 to 10 inches from the plant. I know the grow light kits we sell have an adjustment on there so you can move them up and down. I would say... And you could probably go from 6 to 12, but I would say a general rule is go from 10 to 6 inches from the top of the plant. Okay. Letitia Kia wants to know, what's your favorite blackberry, blackberry variety that do have thorns? Mm, none. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really like the blackberries with thorns, and I'll tell you the reason why. Years ago, uh, I was under the impression, and they may be just a slight difference, that there was a difference in the taste in the two. So what I did was I did a trial. And I did a trial side by side with thornless blackberries and a thornless blackberry called Apache. And uh, this thing lasted for probably a couple of years. And I really didn't notice a substantial amount of difference between the taste in them. But man, those thorn varieties just would tear your arms up you'd be bleeding all over and i said man it just ain't worth it so i would recommend anybody growing a thorn variety of blackberries with the developments of the thornless varieties we've had for the last few years it makes no sense to me whatsoever to be growing any thorn varieties the apache is the one i've grown for and it's a good one but they have been several more developed since then a lot of research done on blackberries so get out there and look around and see which one suits you but definitely go with the thornless ones John Jude wants to know how long should the horta 
Horta Nova. Horta Nova Trellis Last. Yeah. Uh, it'll last as long as you need it to. I've never seen it go bad. Uh, what happened before it was to rot is uh, you'll need to pull it up and move things around for rotation. Uh, I don't know. Th the short answer is I don't know how long it lasts because I've never seen it go bad. I mean, it'll, it should be years. But uh, in a vegetable garden situation, it'll last way longer than you need it yeah. to. Yep. Kendall Dahl wants to know, I've heard my whole life not to plant rows east to west only north to south. Do you gentlemen have a certain direction that you plant your crops? Well, actually, I've never heard that to plant particular rows east or west or north and south. But tell you what you really need to concentrate on. Now, we live on what we call the flat. Our garden is flat. We don't really have an erosion problem. But you guys out there that do have an erosion problem, you always plant against the way you wash. So the main thing about rows is, is they help that water erosion as it pushes your, your soil across there and wash out. So you want to plant against it. So if your water's running this way, you want to plant your rows this way so it'll help with that. The main thing to do is if you're planting on incline is to manage your water erosion. Otherwise on the flat, I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever. Okay, Hannah Miller asks, what would you recommend for a cover crop in raised beds? Hmm. Yeah, that's one we had a conversation around here a few days about ago about. Because actually, you got raised beds and you was wanting to put. Some... I was going to do it, and then yeah. I changed my mind. So, as far as the summer cover crops go, it's kind of tough because all those get pretty good size. They'll um, just in general, all your cover summer cover crops get get big. They have a lot of organic matter, so it's hard to extinguish them and get rid of them in a raised bed situation. If I had to pick one that would probably work better than anything, it would probably be buckwheat. But on your winter cover crops, and we're fixing to get into that season pretty quick here in September and October, just about all your winter cover crops will work fine in a raised bed. Of course, daikon radish is always an easy one to get rid of, and it doesn't grow very big. Mustard, any of them. I, I looked at this and I thought about it. I said, there's not a one I wouldn't recommend for a cover crop in a raised bed you know, in the wintertime, because they would be easy to manage and easy to extinguish and get rid of. I'll probably do mustard after my sunflowers. Mm -hmm. That's a good choice. You can do the mustard that we have that works on nematodes and, uh, and work it back into the soil real quick and get some effects from that. Okay, Gary wants to know, can field peas be used as a cover crop and tilled into the soil. Absolutely. So this is one of my favorite ones to use. I actually use it this year. The two that we recommend is we have a red ripper and we have an iron clay pea, southern cow pea, that can be used for a cover crop. Now, if you have the if you have the means to chop it up, I would probably go with the red ripper. The ripper, red ripper is going to have a lot of more vegetation than the iron clay is. And I use a flail mower, so I went there and cut it up with a flail mower and just shredded it all up. And with the, uh, if I didn't and I was having to rely on a lawnmower, I'd probably go with the iron clay. Both of them are, are, are great to work back into your soil. So either one. If I had the, the mechanical means, I'd use the Red Ripper. If not, I'd use the iron clay. Okay. But not a bad choice either way. All right, this is a long one from Lacey O'Brien. I've heard, seen a lot about cover crops, but I can't wrap, wrap my mind on how to eradicate them when it comes time to plant in the spring. It almost seems counterintuitive because it seems like it would keep coming back. I saw in another video you did where you mowed the cover crops down really short, 
but what happens after that? Yeah, I think this particular subject is what keeps a lot of people from using cover crops because they don't have a plan or understand how they're used. So about a month before your spring garden, you want to go in there and extinguish the cover crop. Now, I will be completely honest with you. This can be one of the most troublesome things with cover crop is extinguishing them and getting rid of them so that you can get back into your cycle, your growing cycle. This is what we're doing. It works well. About four weeks before that planting time, we will go over there and mow, preferably with something that's going to chop it up the most. Whatever you got or can get that's going to do the best job as far as chopping all that upper vegetation up. I like to use a flail mower again because it does such a great job. Use whatever you got. If you have to use a tractor with a rotary mower, heck, if you ever have to use a lawnmower, I've done it with that before. Then mow it as close as you can. Then come right behind that and take a tiller or hair or some kind of mechanical tillage and work that organic matter into the soil immediately as a green manure. And that way it will start feeding those microbes in the soil and everybody will be happy. Your worms will be happy, your earthworms, everybody will love that green cover crop going back into the soil. Now with you chewing it up somewhat, you've increased your decaying of that and making it decay a lot quicker. So that four week period, you should have plenty of time for it to decay and work back into the soil so you can get in there and get on your planting schedule. Sounds good. Sean Charles, how to stop the blossom end rot on watermelon? Yeah, I hadn't had blossom end rot in a long time on watermelons. I don't use as much gypsum on watermelons as I do tomatoes because we normally don't have as much problem. We go back to basically the same theory that we use on tomatoes, but tomato to watermelons don't take as much calcium. So you want to use drip irrigation, not stress the plant. Uh, you want to rotate in a calcium nitrate into your fertility program. We use the 20, 20, 20 one week. The next week we'll use the calcium nitrate and that will give that plant the calcium resources it needs to counteract that blossoming rot. So basically it's two things, good drip irrigation and calcium nitrate. Okay, another watermelon question. Yep. PRN, PRN wants to know what's the best watermelon to grow for a new watermelon gardener? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would probably, I may would go with one of the heirlooms, but I would definitely go with one of the open pollinated varieties. The heirlooms would work fine for you, but even one of the crimson sweets, which is my all time favorite, would do well too. Easy to grow, forgiven. I would not grow one of the hybrids. I would definitely not grow one of the seedless varieties if I was a beginning gardener. Those seedless ones are the most challenging ones to grow, and the hybrids can be more challenging to grow. On certain crops out there, the heirlooms are a lot easier to grow than others. And a prime example of that, watermelons on the heirlooms, the open pollinated easy to grow, corn to me on the open pollinated and heirlooms easy to grow. Now, when you move over to stuff like peppers and squash and cucumbers and tomatoes, it flips on you. A lot of your hybrids are easier to grow than the heirlooms. Okay. But on the watermelons, stick to, uh, stick to a Charleston Gray, Moon and Stars, Crimson Sweet, any of those varieties, you'll be fine. Okay. Wink wants to know, currants, have you ever grew them? I never have, and I've never seen a current till a couple of years ago, and I know y'all may find this strange, but a lady that worked here uh, brought some, and I tried them, and I was impressed. It's just, if you don't know what they are, it's like a little, it looks like a miniature tomato about the size of a marble, a small mar marble, but they are 
powerful and punch, a lot of flavor. They're good to eat. You can get a handful of them. I think the plants is, according to what she told me, just slowed up. So it didn't take a lot of them. Never grow on currants. I don't even think we offer the seed on currants, mm -hmm. but uh, it is a wonderful plant to have in the edible garden. Okay, we need to try it. Yep. MDarks82, how do you keep animals out of your garden, such as rabbit, deer? Yeah, a lot of people have this this question or this problem and uh, it can be frustrating. Um, years ago, I was in the pest control business and uh, we had a word for this type of control. It's called exclusion. Exclusion is basically the only thing you can do in a vegetable garden situation. Now, in an ornamental situation, there's some things you can spray on there that will help deter them. But in a vegetable garden situation, you are limited to what you can spray out there to deter them. So exclusion is going to be the process you need to go by. And that simply means putting up a barrier to keep those pests from getting in that garden. I know this can be tough, but it's really the only answer there. I have a rabbit problem in my garden, so I had to put up a little rabbit, small rabbit fence. If you got a deer problem, then you're going to have to put up something bigger to keep those deer deterred from coming in that garden. The only true and tried method is exclusion, and that is a barrier, or it be a fence or whatever. Okay. My Rule Life asks, do you plan on adding other organic fertilizers to the store? Uh, probably not strictly organic. We are working on some fortified fertilizers that maybe we'll have coming out next year. We're working on some things like citrus tree fertilizer, uh, maybe some fruit and tree fertilizers, and they will have some organics into it, but they will also have some synthetics into it, and they will be a term, what we call fortified, which is the best of both worlds. We'll wait and see. We're working on that. Okay. It's a project I've got going on right now. Next, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, O-J-E-D-A. O-J-E-D-A. Tony. Tony. Best fertilizer for the everyday gardener. Yeah, the, our organic, complete organic fertilizer, which is a 543, which is a pelletized hen manure, by all means is the best all around fertilizer we've got. Especially if you're doing raised beds, it is the way to go. It has a great release curve on the nitrogen. Also, it's easy to use and it has a lot of room for error. So if you mess up a little bit, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a video out there showing how we did some raised beds. You incorporate it into the soil a week to two weeks before plant and you come back and side dress with it one or two times during the growing season boom you got some nice plants so by all means that five four three in my opinion is one of the best fertilizers out there all right jeff davis do you use any organic or inorganic sprays in your garden i do i use both uh I have a long history with some of these chemicals and I understand the mode of action on just about all of probably more so than the average person does with my background. Now, if you've watched us very long, you know I have a major problem with some of the neonicotinoid classification of chemistries that I just will not use and I don't recommend anybody using them. There are some synthetics out there that I think have a place and we use some synthetics and, and use a lot of organics as well. The main thing is understanding what you're using, what the side effects is, and look at these are trade-off with everything you use. Understand what that trade-off is and how to use that pro product properly. And I think you, you'll be well served. Okay. Joe Ford wants to know what will control powdery mildew? Yeah, powdery mildew is one of the easiest ones to control. It's normally always there due to a weather-related situation. A lot of times it's humidity. 
So humidity causes powdery mildew to come up. Now you will sometimes see some susceptible plants to it, but just about any uh, good fungicide will take care of it. All the fungicides that we have listed, all the organic for, uh, all the organic and the synthetic uh, fungicides we have listed on our site will control powdery mildew. Okay. Now downy mildew is ugly first cousins a different story. Okay. Ed Crawl wants to know, how do you control grasshoppers? Oh, that's a tough one. So, you know, I guess he's talking about those black grasshoppers with the red or, or orange stripe on them. Now, we've never had a problem here. Never had a problem here with grasshoppers. But I have in my past life uh, working in the uh, horticulture industry, we've battled them quite a bit. They're a tough one. Once they get to the adult stage, fish bait. That's about all you can do. Pick them off using them for fish bait. These things get huge. A lot of people call them jumpers. But when they're small and you have to control them when they're smaller, if you're going to, you're probably going to have to use something like a, a bug buster too, a permethrin, a synthetic pyrethroid, and you're going to have to spray them pretty strong and you're going to have to spray them again and again and again to get results. You can get results if you catch them at that early stage. I'm not sure that any of the organic chemicals are going to do much on those, but uh, they, can, they can be problematic. And, and, and once you get to that big stage, either extinguish your crop or mechanically or do whatever you got to move on. Don't spend a lot of time and energy battling when they get to that adult stage because they ain't much you can do. Okay. Ty Henderson asks, what's the best way to get a good harvest of pumpkins? Pumpkins, uh, I guess there's three things I would say to make sure you do right there. Of course, drip irrigation because uh, it's hard to overhead water pumpkins because they have much, much sprawling vine. Plus, we got this disease issue I won't talk about in a minute that we want to do what we can to keep them off of it. So keep that water underneath the plant, not on the leaves. Water it so the plant doesn't stress. Keep it sprayed, treated for downy and powdery mildew. Downy mildew is horrendous on pumpkins. And the third thing is pollination. Got to have pollination. Whether you bring them in as bees, as honeybees, or if you got enough natural pollinators, but you definitely got to have pollinators to make a good pumpkin crop. Okay. Corey Anderson, I purchased white Dutch clover seed and peaches and cream corn from Haas Tools, and I'm curious if the nitrogen the clover provides will fertilize the corn in a companion planting scenario. I read some research from UGA on it and curious for your thoughts on the white Dutch variety. Mm. The white Dutch clover is a great one. Uh, it is the most heat tolerant clover I have ever seen. It will actually grow year round down here in zone eight. Now it'll struggle some in the middle of the summertime in the dog days in August, but I've seen it survive year round down here in, in irrigated situations. Uh, up in zone six, we was in Ohio a couple weeks ago. I seen plenty of white Dutch clover growing great up there. So it, it will definitely grow up there year round. It is a good one. It's low growing. Uh, you see a lot of times on the roadsides, white Dutch clover, I'm a big fan of. I do not think it will work as a companion plant for corn for nitrogen fixation. Um, I've done a little play with this over the years and it sounds great. If you could plant a plant there to draw the nitrogen in for another plant you got right beside it, it just really didn't work that way. So that clover is going to attract that nitrogen and put it into the nodules in the root system. But it's not necessarily going to be available to that corn plant growing right beside of it. That 
nitrogen in that clover has to be breaking down in that rotten process before it starts being available. So, no, I don't think it would work for you. I, I, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. Now, planting white dutch ahead of the corn or planting one of the other clovers ahead of the corn, now that would be a good strategy. Work it into the soil and let the corn benefit from all that uh, nitrogen fixation the clover has done all the work for. Carlos wants to know, how do you prevent cross-pollination with okra, or do you even care about it happening? Well, okra is one of those self-pollinating plants. It has the male and female flower on the okra plant. It really doesn't rely on insects or wind or anything for the pollination. However, they can cross-pollinate if you plant two varieties side by side. But folks, if you're not saving the seed, don't worry about it. Now, if you got a special heirloom variety that you're trying to keep pure, yes, you're going to have to have some isolation there to keep those plants pure. But if you're not, if you're not worried about saving the seeds, simply do not worry about it. And I think you'll be fine. We don't ever worry about it. I have planted varieties side by side before, and I've never noticed that the pods were cross-pollinated. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Daniel Shaddell ask how do you deal with vine borers they're killing our pumpkins a lot of people have trouble vine borers especially this time of year when it gets hot out there uh they're a tough one again you're gonna have to hit them early in that nymph and when they just hatch out the eggs uh, you can hit them with a bug buster too a synthetic or you can probably get decent control with your neems or maybe your spinosad i would probably lean more toward neem or a horticulture oil at that stage, at the nymph or the egg stage there to clean them up. If you break that cycle, you can get decent control. So do that along with keeping a nice clean garden. And as soon as those cucurbits and squash are through growing, get them out of there and put them in the compost pile, get you a cover crop planted. Do keep a nice clean garden and stay after those vine borers early and you can have decent control. Okay, Gary, Once they get to the adult stage, you can, uh, in, in that vine, you can forget it. Gary Schmelzer. Yep, Mr. Gary. I know him well. What's a good spray schedule for Mississippi Purple Hall pea? Yeah, Gary, you're going to have to stay at them with a uh, permethrin, a synthetic permethrin for that southern pea curio, the one that stings the pod, makes a little black dot on that pea. You're going to have to stay after them that on a seven-day, a tight seven-day schedule. And uh, here in the south, it's just that's just a fact. You're going to have to stay on a tight schedule every seven days with a permethrin. Now, you may want to rotate it up and use a little neem every now and then, but uh, you're pretty much going to have to hit them hard to keep them nice and clean. Okay. Junkyard asks, where can I get the old standard longhorn variety? Lots of long pods and stays tender. Yeah, actually we have a variety called cowhorn, and cowhorn is also known as longhorn. It's really according to the region you grew up in. It has kind of a slang term. But cowhorn and longhorn are the same variety, and we actually carry that cowhorn variety. People love it out in Louisiana and Texas. Now, around here in South Georgia, you don't see a lot of it. They love it out there, and it does. It gets those long pods, stays nice and tender, so you can get a lot out of it. Okay. Cynthia Edwards asked, my corn was a not a success this year. I'm okay with it. It's my learning season. That's what I'm telling myself. So my question is, should I go ahead and pull up the stalks now? Is it hurting my soil to keep them in the ground even if they're not producing? Yeah, get them out of there as soon as possible. Them corn stalks would degrade. They're easier to work with when they're green. 
just as soon as I pick that last ear of corn, I go out there and mow my corn stalks down and I start hairing them back into the soil. All that organic matter there is going to feed the soil. And if that corn stalk dries out and gets nice and brown, it's going to be a lot harder to work with. And it doesn't add near as much benefit back to the soil. So to answer your question, it's just as soon as you get that last cob off from there, mow it and start working it back into the soil. Okay. Farmer Bill garden asks how far apart are your rows and he's referring to peaches and cream sweet corn yeah any of the uh, sweet corn we always plant on 30 36 inches regardless now we've done testing closer than that and further than that and hadn't worked out standard is 30 36 inches do not deviate uh, from that now i know especially up north a lot of these field corn guys can go to 15 to 20 inch spacing and they're successful with it that's a different ball game on sweet corn especially here in the south 30 36 inch row spacing every time and you can do either one according to how your plot lays out sometimes i do 30 inches sometimes 36 inches either one will work fine last question mm -hmm. kelly mason I'm assuming my 0.5 gallon per minute flow rate is not enough to run drip tape. Is that correct? Right there on the borderline. So you need 0.5, which is what you got up to eight gallons per minute. Okay. So you're right in there, TD tottering on TD tottering. How's that? On the bottom side. So yeah, you could probably get by with it. If you have any less than that, you're going to have problems. Our pressure regulator is really the one you have to go off there and the range is 0.5 to eight gallons per minute. So you have to be in that range, but yeah, you're right there on the borderline. Should work for you. Okay, and that's all the questions. All the questions. Well, I hope that helps somebody. I do too. I yep. think so. Corny joke of the week. Corny joke of the week? I thought mm -hmm. we had bounced by this. Okay, I'm ready. How do you fix a cracked pumpkin? Cracked pumpkin. Duct tape? No. A pumpkin patch. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good okay. one right there. A pumpkin patch. Yep. Let's draw. That's for one of the best ones you've had. You yeah. Think so? yeah. Yeah. All right. We got our little bowl here and we got our names in there. We're going to draw five names out. Send us your shipping address and we'll send you the highly coveted Barbara Pleasant Gardener's Guide to Plant Diseases. Okay. First one Farmer's Bills Garden. Farmer's Bills Garden. Okay. Okay. I'm going to get number two. Number two is Old Junkyard. You know Junkyard? I don't know Junkyard, but Junkyard, we'll get this book to you if you'll send us uh, your address. Okay. Three is Kendall Doll. And number four is Mr. Joe Ford. All right. Last one. Da 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 da. Drum roll. Yep. Corey Anderson. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Good five names there. So maybe that'll, uh, maybe this book will help some of y'all. Diseases are tough. I do a better job with, uh, with insects than I do diseases. Diseases are, are, are very complex. So maybe this will help somebody out. You folks out there, I mean, we're wet down here and I'm getting ready to get my sweet corn in the ground. So it's getting about time to get that fall sweet corn growing. I'm going to try to get mine in there about the middle of the month, middle of August. I've uh, got some good things coming up with fall garden. I'm excited about fall garden. I'm already thinking about a lot of things, what I want to grow. So maybe it'll dry up so we can get out there. And we're glad you watched this evening. Maybe some of it helped you to help you grow your own food. Now, get out there and get dirty. Mm -hmm.